welcome to another week of Kicking About. I almost said the name of the other podcast that I'm on, but, uh, you know, when you record two in the same night, it's kind of weird. But no, this is the Kicking About one. This is where two Canadian white guys talk about football, or soccer, as you might know it. Woo! The fun, the fun stuff. First of all, Cam, let me, let me start off with a happy anniversary of the two-year mark since Barcelona had a penalty against them in La Liga. Really? It's been two years? It's a, Impressive stat. Impressive. Yes, we've 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 faced Real Madrid in that time four times, six times. We surely have had have had some penalties in that time. Probably the Sergio Ramos hacking, so it's probably went the other way. That's true. That's true. That's uh, one of those. Um, speaking of which, you know, neither of the teams played today, but we did have two very exciting uh, Champions League sides. Uh, hit off today. Well, one was exciting, and then the other one was kind of like, "Oh, please, God, stop it! They're already dead." Yeah, one of the, one of them was was exciting in the sense that, like, watching just beautiful football completely and utterly massacre a utterly helpless opponent, uh, it can be beautiful. I think FC Basel, like, I think they kind of knew that this yeah. was going to happen. Yeah, uh, and this is very much this is. I think like Guardiola knows if he wants to do deep run, he has to rest his players. And has to keep his squad fresh. So this is very much a. They used to do this when they play uh, play teams in the round of sixteen in quarters. In in when Guardiola was at Barcelona, it was just like just get the round over with, just statement win right from the start. Well, like, yeah, complete he... massacre in the first leg, and then you can like you can bet in new players, you can play some youngsters. Like when they played, um, who was I think it was Shakhtar Donetsk in 2010-11. Um, they won the first like five one, and. Uh, in in the Ukraine, and then just like played a bunch of youngsters in the second leg and tied one one. But like when you win five one, it, it's over. It's over, well, ladies and gentlemen. Well, and I also feel like you know it, it was he already rested at least five of his players, which was like he already had a squad. He didn't have Ederson starting. He didn't have um, he had Bernardo Silva. He had uh, Bernardino, Fabian Delph. Uh, good yeah. game to give uh, company some more run. Like it wasn't yeah, play. Uh, yeah. Like yeah, this was a this was a this was not close. I didn't. I, I think we we all pinpointed this is the one that was like a foregone conclusion from the get go that this was just going to be a, a comprehensive win, and they just turned it into a massacre. And that's what happens when you when you score three goals in twenty three minutes. That that's entirely what happened. I mean, he gave Leroy Sané a bit of run just to kind of you know, ease him in after that gruesome injury. I was watching yeah. that, and, you know, Basil, they defended okay. I, I was trying to figure out uh, who the worst Shaka is because uh, <laughs> uh, one of his uh, his brother, uh, Granite Shaka's brother plays for Basil and uh, did not work out for well. Uh, surprisingly in defense. But, yeah, uh, he sits five players from the starting lineup. He still dominates possession, 75 to 25. He gets seven shots to target out of possible twelve, and and doubles the corners for the opposing team. Like this is, I think, what a lot of teams feared when uh, we saw the city matchup is giving a good team a runway. Yeah, because there's a difference as to like starting your run against a very good team and then having you know those two grueling matches on top of you know, your league performances, and then there is Manchester City. They got to absolutely demolish Basel, and they're looking forward to playing Arsenal, like which is a used to be a top side in the Premier League. 
Uh, and they got the luxury of resting five of their players. Yeah. Ahead of a very, like, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't refer to any of City's forthcoming matches as pivotal anymore. Yeah, they're they're so far ahead, and that the United lost in the weekend, I think, just adds to that. Like, it's it's done. Premier League has been done for a while, and now it's just like icing on the cake. Um, the petty me, however, celebrated a little bit too early in the other matchup. Oh yes, they did. Oh wait, Juventus. I have a lot of thoughts about this match. Um, um Juventus's midfield was absolutely non-existent. And, um, yes, and it's extremely difficult to build uh, beat a Tottenham team that's built to overwhelm you in the midfield. And they did with uh, 67% possession. Um, I was, you know, I think I, they very much missed uh, the presence of uh, Blaise Matuidi. Yeah. I think that's a huge, I think if, if I had to pinpoint well, a gap. They, and I, the, thing, the thing that struck me about this game was that, so they up 2-0 in the opening, in the opening 10 minutes. Um, and then they just sort of, sat and defended and that, that that's usually enough to get you through an average match but this Tottenham team is one that relishes having the ball and relishes attacking 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 so it was weird to me that they sat back as deep as they did and just let Tottenham dictate the pace of the game well and also I feel like this Tottenham team as good as they are going forward they still have a variety of issues at the back um, yeah. they, they're really good on paper but the, their their problems have been when they don't have the luxury of having the ball for more than fifty uh, percent of the time, and that's kind of what Juventus that that was their number one mistake I think is not letting them kind of gather, um, and it's it's weird because their midfield is very very good like they have a lot of uh, really good presence in the midfield obviously they're missing Matuidi but they lined up you know Kadira, Pjanic, Bernadeschi, Costa and Mandzukic and they still had Marquisio on the bench uh they could have brought on um Asamoah later that, on I mean they did they did but by that point it was already uh like the the momentum of the game had swung away from them absolutely and I mean Buffon looked human for a second yeah, I mean, he was, he was, I think, to a certain extent, as painful as this is to say, he was at fault in the second goal. Yeah, I think there's, there's a few times when, like, you're, you're, you begin to convince yourself that he may have to retire, that he won't play. I mean, he's, 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 he's 40. He's, like, he's older than my boss. <laughs> until, until the universe is void, I believe. I still believe that Buffon will play until the universe is a meaningless void of black space. Which, yeah. by current estimates, is probably, like, a couple of months. Yeah, it's September. We'll make it through the summer. <laughs> it's, um, it's quite right. I mean, it sucks that they did. They underestimated Tottenham as such. I think that was a big thing for them. In particular, yep. the draw is not bad. It's the away goals um, yep. that are going to cost yep. them, I think. And I think I think this tie is still very much alive. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Tottenham wins this. Um both because they've had this this Wembley problem all year, and also just because I think like Juventus are still a very good team. I think they, to a certain extent, underestimated how hard it would be to keep Tottenham pegged in. Um, and I I don't think they'll make that mistake in uh, in the second leg. I still think this tie is quite up in the air. I could see it going either way in the return. No, um, absolutely. Basel City done. <laughs> I do think they missed Ibala. Like yes. a whole oh, lot. So much. Uh, especially in particular if they're going to deploy him on that right, uh, opposing somebody like Ben Davis. Yeah. Like, uh, Jesus 
Christ. And also, I think they, I think they, they missed, they missed speed on, they missed pace and just versatility on the wings a lot. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's what I think. That's why I'm kind of confused of why they wouldn't switch Douglas Costa and Mandzukic a little bit because Mandzukic, as you know, as much as they've been used to deploying him on the wings. Um, I think playing Douglas Costa on that wing, as it showed a few times that he burned Aurier for speed, is a lot better approach for them, for this team. I just think it's kind of just like Mandzukic has been such a serviceable player for this team. It's harder to leave him out, but I would almost want to leave him out. Yeah. In, in, in tides like these, especially. Well, and he's like... I don't know. I don't know if he's a, a player who's suited to playing against a team like Tottenham. Um, absolutely. I, I think uh, there's a lot to consider, but yes, no, this is very much alive. Uh, there's two more games, uh, coming up tomorrow. One of which is Porto Liverpool, which I think is going to be very interesting because Liverpool is such an inconsistent side. I think this game could be really, and it's in Porto, which is historically a difficult place to play. It's going to be, I think it's going to be the biggest test for a Coutinho less Liverpool because to, as much as we've seen Salah, be amazing, and as much as I've seen Firmino be amazing, I think Coutinho was still that one player who, when it, it was really hard to crack the opposition, he was the one who could come up with a little bit of magic to do yeah. so. Um, I was literally about to say the same thing. And, and like, I think in a tough game against Porto, if it's nil-nil and Porto's very defensive and they're trying to break him down, I think they're going to miss him a lot. I think that's their first test. I think this is a very, very big test for somebody like Virgil van Dijk, who was brought in specifically for stuff like this. He was brought in specifically to not, you know, route Southampton, who are already reeling, but to go into the Champions League, go into a notoriously difficult ground to play, and try and not concede, which is obviously one of Liverpool's biggest weaknesses. Yeah, I think I think Champions League ties, particularly away, are where you most benefit from having players who could just pick a lock yeah. at a moment, out of nothing. Like... Part of the reason that Guardiola's Barcelona side was so dangerous is because they had like six players who could do that. Part of the reason that uh, um, those those Mourinho teams at Inter and Chelsea were so dangerous is that they had like four or five players who could do that. Um, so I think I think there's the possibility. I think there's players who can do that on Liverpool, but I don't think any of them are as good at doing so as Coutinho. I think Salah comes the closest. Yeah, and and I think the question will then just be how good of service does Salah get? Yeah, absolutely. And then the second match of tomorrow features a GDP of like five small countries. This is this is like the, the, these two squads put together are like are like one point two billion euros. Like that's it's it's nuts how much money is in this squad. Like it's tomorrow two small economies play each other. Yeah. Uh. And this, I don't know. This, like, this there, are, there are major fiscal policy programs that cost less than the to, than the lineups of these two teams. And this, this is what this is specifically why PSG went out and bought Neymar, and he has to deliver tomorrow. Oh yeah, absolutely. There is absolutely no. They're bored. They're sleepwalking through League One. He's kind of disinterested. He's not showing up to certain games. I think, and Real. As we've often discussed, they're they're very much past hope of winning La Liga. They're past hope of winning La Liga, and I think the consensus is that if they get if they get wasted in this game, that Zidane's job is in big trouble. Yeah, and they are coming off a five-two 
absolute dismantling of Real Sociedad. So that, that being said, Sociedad have been very porous this year, more broadly. Like they're not the they're not the first team to to put that many past them. Um, Atletico did the same. Valencia did the same. Um, Barcelona put four past them a couple weeks ago. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily suggestive of like oh, they've turned their season around, or just like, oh, it's a team that just ships goals to top four teams. I just uh, think it's more getting, as we talked about, getting that runway, going into this game, yeah, knowing that, like, we just had a really, really good performance. And sometimes you need to kind of get, you know, get your tires going a little bit before you, you jump right in. Uh, it's going to be interesting for me to see how each team handles it. I think it's hard... I think PSG are going to play a little bit conservatively in this first leg and then try to rip them apart at uh, Parc de Prince. I think I think it's going to be difficult for Real, too, because Real has, in many ways, still relied a lot on stopping the attack and then counterattacking. The problem is, look at that attack. Yeah, and, and, and also that... Um, the way that Real Madrid's season has gone, um, the Bernabeu crowd has has gotten into a habit of turning on Madrid real fast if things aren't going ideally. So if it's like nil-nil in the 50th minute and Madrid are struggling, or even like one-nil and they're struggling in the 50th minute, the, the crowd could go very tepid. Uh, absolutely. I think if I had to, I, I'm very interested to watch tomorrow is the matchup. Uh... Uh, from defense, from PSG's perspective, because last year I remember when we watched at least the first leg of Barcelona PSG, uh, Presno Kimpembe, one of PSG's defenders, had pretty much Suarez and Messi covered. Yeah, and then they just completely shot the bed uh, in the. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. But I think it would be, be interesting to see him matched up against, uh, you know, his his previous um, counter. Uh, you know, the similar talent players. And it would be very interesting. It's, I don't know. It's hard for me to, to predict. I think I think PSG may even have a better build to play a team like Real Madrid than they did Barcelona. Um, I think so. I think partly because, like, Ronaldo's still an excellent player, but he's sort of become a, like, standard center forward at this point, whereas that... Um, that Barcelona front three was just so frighteningly mobile, yeah. That it just was was difficult uh, to to get through. I also think this is um, if like we're in a position where Real is going to have to make certain choices because I think uh, the way that they deploy Neymar on the left, Carvalho Howe is not really equipped to handle Neymar. Um, I also think that uh, Marcelo's not been having the best season, and he has to go up against Mbappe. And then you kind of have to have Ramos on uh, Cavani. It's good. There's going to be a lot of matchup situations there, I think. But we'll see what happens. Um, we'll get back. I'm to trying that. to. I'm, I'm trying to find uh, the. I'm on the. Uh, um. Champions League records and statistics and can't find it. Um, what the highest scoring uh, two-leg knockout round is uh, in uh, in Champions League history. And 
and whether I, whether that might actually be uh, be broken. I mean, there's going to be a lot of goals in this game. Yes, there's going to be a stupid amount of goals in this game, and I think um, I think we're going to be. It's, it's a very good game if you're a neutral. Yeah. It's a very good game to go into if you're neutral. If you have any kind of affiliation, uh, I guess stock up on alcohol. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I recommend gin uh, in the case. All right, let's, um, let's head on over to the Premier League. Yeah, let's... Uh, I don't want to, but we have to. Um, it was a very tough... It was a very, very what? depressing Sunday morning, Saturday morning. I actually want to start with a different game, which was a game I watched uh, on Sunday. Uh when I when we for some bizarre reason the bar I was at for lunch was showing football instead of Olympics. Um, oh, was it Liverpool versus Liverpool Junior? No, huge win for Newcastle over Manchester United. Ah, uh, the the continued fall of Manchester United and Jose Mourinho. Yeah, this is one. It's Benitez's first win against Mourinho since two thousand seven. Um, two, it now puts them. Uh, it now puts, I mean, there's still only two points above the relegation zone, but they are now out of the relegation zone. He really, uh, Maria really insists on tethering Paul Pogba to the to the Maddich pivot in the back. He really does. I think, I think part of the problem with Pogba is that just no one has figured out how to play him. I mean, you play him up there in the Lingard spot behind Lukaku. Like you need to. Here's I know that, and you know that, but 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 Premier League and and French national team managers have seemingly not figured that out. I just, I mean, there is a prime example. Look at that Juventus final run two years ago. The one that's directly responsible for Paul Pogba's tremendous, um, you know, price tag is the fact that he was really kind of like a he was less of a box to box. He played box to box, but he was really that. He was almost a number ten. Yeah, in many ways, and I think the other thing with Paul Pogba, and this is something that's going to be clashing with Mourinho, is because Mourinho is, to his credit, is very positionally rigid. He yeah. wants his players. He's, he's a very he's a very zonal player. Yeah, he wants his players to be where they are. He wants them not to leave those zones, and he wants to focus on their assignments. With Pogba, he thrives in a more open concept. He would thrive more in some in some sort of a kind of role that Ozzo has at Arsenal, where Ozzo's kind of free to go where he wishes. Wherever he sees space, he goes. And I, I think I think that's what Pogba's missing in his game. Obviously, there is still detriment. So obviously, he hangs on to the ball a little bit too much. Sometimes he goes for way too many spectacular plays. But I also think that's a side effect of frustration of having been stuck in certain positions for long stretches without being able to affect the game. Yeah. And um, and that begets and that becomes a self reinforcing cycle. Yeah, pretty much. And I think they're gonna need to solve it in, in in the Champions League. I think that's that's the one where they need to find the answer for that because they do have, uh, you know, they do have the players to back. I don't like if you have Matic playing or you have Under Herrera playing, you don't seemingly need to have Paul Pogba that deep back. You just don't. Yep. Um. Whether it's, you know, they're going to have to sacrifice one of Lingard or Martial to Paul Pogba moving up. And they're going to have to plug Herrera or Mata back there uh, alongside Matic. But they're going to need to find a way to move Pogba up. Much like, you know, Juventus freed it up with Marquisio or Pirlo or anybody who they had in that kind of holding midfielder role. 
to kind of free Pogba to to uh, to move forward up the pitch. Meanwhile, I think Newcastle more often than not lately have gotten their tactics right. Yeah, the execution has been questionable, but once again, I think I think, I think Rafa, part of that is just this quality of players. Absolutely, I think Rafa Benitez just kind of came out and said, you know. This is how we play. Like they, they don't play particularly flashy. They play that one up top and like a very stern four four, right in behind them, um, and it works well for them because they're very organized. And that's the thing about a lot, uh, this this Newcastle team is they very, you can clearly see lines on the field, as they defend yep. and move forward. You can kind of see like the four four one one, and they're very organized and they're able to flip it into four five one with uh, Shelby just really dropping in. And I think it does really well against bigger teams, especially with bigger teams who are switching to these three at the back formations, or in many cases they almost leave two at the back because they have the very attacking fullbacks, like for example starting Ashley Young as your left fullback, um, because that way they don't get overwhelmed and they can break faster. Yeah. And part of it was also, part of it also for you guys was just a series of absolutely heroic uh, defensive performances. Absolutely. Um, from a from a whole bunch of different players. Um, so I mean, there were um, Dubrovka made just a series of, of great saves. Um, Yedlin had two two goal line clearances, um, and caught Lukaku offside at one point. So it was just I think it was just a really good effort all around. It's a huge win for them. Well, I also think that when you're in this position, you you have to dig in. Yeah, you have to really just. Like, these are the performances, like, these are the teams that stay up, are the ones who look at this and say, we're gonna, we're going to dig the, dig in our heels and, and make a stand here and and defend and every, put every last man on the line. And I think that's been the case with them. I think that's been the case with Swansea lately. And I think that's been the case with West Ham in their recent stretch of games. Um, speaking of top teams playing each other... All right, I was trying to put it off for as long as I could. I got another London Derby. this was this was one of the worst performances I've seen in a while from an Arsenal side against the top side. Um, the team just looked out of it. You know who Arsenal remind me a lot of this season is a sort of less catastrophic version of the Memphis Grizzlies. Just. That like it's this formula that was really good for consistency, and even if it didn't win you any tight, like it didn't win you a league, it was good at staying consistently good and sort of riding out the storm of whichever team was trending upwards. Um, and for a variety of reasons, partly just like important players aging out or moving on, it's it's soured and and it feels very similar. Uh, and now Lacazette's out for six to eight weeks. I mean, luckily we have a replacement. So at least that's good. But if it wasn't for Peter Cech, that game could have easily been three to five goals. Oh yeah. Um there was a it was it was another case of just Pochettino getting the right the tactics right. And that's the other thing I think that's still getting away from Wenger is everybody kind of knows the way Arsenal wants to play now. And that's the same issue we're seeing with Mourinho, is everybody knows the way Mourinho wants to play. Um, and they just don't have the players and the luxury to be like, everybody knows the way Guardiola's teams are going to play. 
the problem is, what are you going to do about it? Because they've collected the best talent. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Whereas with Arsenal, you can't play that way because your midfield is not capable of that. You're good up. You're good with Ozzo and Mkhitaryan. You're very creative up top. Um, as long as Kashoni stay, stays healthy, you will be okay on defense. The problem is like that midfield of Xhaka and the rotation of like Ramsey, Wilshire. There isn't a combination there that I trust to be a top four combination in this league. Yeah. And that shows, um, in particular, when you know you face such a talented team in the midfield, such as Tottenham. Yeah, I think I think other like we talked about this last week to a greater extent, but I think in the past Arsenal sort of benefited from there was always one or two teams screwing up. Yeah. Um, and it, they've just other teams have just gotten their stuff together. Yeah. Um, other than that, you know, Swansea uh, is increasingly safer. Uh, despite us continuously wanting them to be, uh, well, predicting them to be one of the more relegated teams, but they've been they've been doing okay. Uh, yeah. Ch- Chelsea seemed to have re- uh, written a little bit their course, uh, which was a very dominant performance uh, against uh, against West Brom today. Uh, yeah. The other one is uh, Liverpool played Liverpool Junior, kind of like a tryout for their future players, I guess. <laughs> It's like trials, and, and and they've had a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal outing. And last one is, dear God, Sergio Aguero's good at football. Uh yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's quite good. Um, this uh, this this game was was not close, never was close, and uh, kind of just sort of got less close as it went on. It really makes our prediction in the beginning, like our whole discussion that we've had in the beginning of the season about, um, you know, whether or not Aguero or Gabriel Jesus are going to be the leading scorers. That just really makes that look obsolete. Yeah. Um, and I understand, you know, Gabriel Jesus has been injured, but so has Aguero, and Aguero has come in, and he has absolutely destroyed everything in his path. Like, it was, it's not even funny Yeah. how good he's been. Um, I mean, on the other hand, I am kind of happy. I discovered that there was a Ukrainian player on City. Huh. And he actually started this game. He had two starts already. It's fantastic. Amazingly, Aguero is still not the top goal scorer in the Premier League. Uh, is it still Harry Kane? It's still Harry Kane. 23. Aguero's got 21. Salah's got 22. It's a tight race. It is. Man, Harry Kane is way too good at being a striker. He is he is going to cost Real Madrid lots of money. Mm-hmm. It's the only way I can keep myself from breaking down and crying is reminding myself that Harry Kane's gonna be sold. Yeah, to them or PSG. Absolutely. And then um two big ma- a couple of big matches also coming up. We got um Arsenal City, which I'm not at all looking forward to. <laughs> And Man United Chelsea. So we have this is gonna be There's some there's some good games this weekend. There's absolutely some good games this weekend. I believe that Arsenal uh uh City has been pushed back just because of the uh uh League Cup. Oh it's a League Cup game. Yep. It's uh yep. They uh we actually don't have uh Premier League uh this coming weekend. 
You're right. You are correct. I was looking at the wrong results. But Man United Chelsea, that's gonna be that's gonna be something. Yeah, it's uh, FA Cup this uh, this weekend, and uh, there's there's. It's not really. I mean, West Brom and Southampton will be close, but other than that, it's it's still you know Chelsea's playing Hull City, Wigan's playing Man City, Rochdale's playing Tottenham, Leicester's playing Sheffield United, um, and Sheffield Wednesday plays Swansea. Let's. I mean, yeah, just go is... watch some Atletico Madrid, Atletico Bilbao, or Real Betis, Real Madrid. That's, yeah, yeah. Know, go watch. Go watch a different league. This is your opportunity this weekend to go and watch uh, some other leagues play. Uh, speaking of dif- different leagues, um, Real Madrid, as we've discussed already, uh, put on a 5-2. But then again, everybody yeah. else keeps winning. Real Madrid cannot... Barcelona, Barcelona drew, but they're so far ahead at this point that it doesn't really matter. I do enjoy watching uh, sometimes when I open results of La Liga, seeing, you know, like, oh, Real Madrid, 5-2, Valencia, 3-1, Atletico Madrid, 1-0. 1-0. Yeah. Yeah, just keep getting those one nil wins. Um, interestingly, in the last three weeks, this has very much moved from being a three-team race to a two-team race. Valencia have fallen off. Um, they were uh, a point behind Atletico and are now nine points behind Atletico after taking three straight losses. So um, that's that's not great for them. Um, I still think that they will, will end up in the top four just because they have enough momentum in the tank from the early part of the season. But I, I do think that... Um, that they're not perhaps as high flying as they were at the start. Um, I think this is very much this is Barcelona's league to lose, and if they lose it, it'll be Atletico. Yeah, absolutely, I can see that. And then pretty much everywhere else, things stayed on par. There really isn't much to talk about in terms of you know Juventus and Napoli. I think if there is a league to follow closely, it is. Uh, it is. That's an exciting title race. That is a very it's a very meaningful title race. Uh, Juventus has had a five year stranglehold on the uh, Serie A championships, and Napoli are dug in one point above. This is I love this because it's, it's just like both teams just doggedly refuse to draw points. Absolutely, and I think the moment you see one team drop, and you're just like, "Oh, this could make it interesting." It's just like they they mirror each other's results. And I think, um, I don't even think, I think they've already played each other twice. So, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think they've got one game left. Um, let me just double check this quickly. I'm, um, I'm pretty sure. Oh, they yes, they, yes, they do. They have uh, a game on the 22nd of April. Ooh. That is very, very, very possibly. That ain't a bad birthday present right there. That's that's very possibly that's a be the title game. deciding game. That's exactly what I was like. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Is I think that's the game that's going to decide who wins this title. And I mean, like, talk about being clear of the competition. They're lapping everybody else. Yeah, um, part of that is that everyone else has fallen off. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, that's that could be really exciting. Um, I mean, uh, AC Milan have actually, has actually been kind of moving up. Uh, they've if you really stabilized results. To, a, to, a, to a great extent, which I think was important for them. Yeah, uh, they haven't lost in, a, in in quite some time. They haven't lost since uh, since December seventeenth. No, Gattuso sorry, December twenty third. Uh, and Eric Tuso has uh, has been has been doing good work. 
they're still they're still well back in seventh, um, which is still a problem. But um, and I think Inter and Roma are too far ahead. They might catch Sampdoria for for the second Europa League spot. I mean, they're uh, also still Europa League, so that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. As well, and uh, I mean, but they do have a rough stretch coming up. They have. Um, their Europa League matchups actually fairly easy versus Ludogorets, but then they have uh, Roma, Lazio in the Coppa Italia, and then uh, Inter Milan. That's a tough, tough stretch. Yeah. And then they play Juvent. Uh, they play Napoli and Juventus almost on the flip. Yep. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see where they end up. Uh, it, it is. It's. It's the first year I find myself intrigued by the Italian race. It stayed close until about week 26 last year, and then Juventus just sort of broke it, broke for it and managed to get ahead. But it stayed interesting the whole time this year. Uh, yeah. And even if there was that gap between second and third, it's still interesting to see between, you know, Inter, Roma, Lazio, who's, yeah. gonna, who's going to come up on top there. Um, I did want to talk about a little bit about, like, interesting tactical transitions today. Uh, we might have, like, five to ten minutes to kind of spend on that because I – me and you had an interesting chat this week when I kind of sent you the lineup for the 2002 Brazil national team, which was a terrifying prospect, I'm sure. for Just a, a dumb, dumb lineup. Um, just like, imagine having Rivaldo, Ronaldo, and Ronaldinho, like young Ronaldinho. Yeah, and and Ronaldo was was getting, was he was pudgy Ronaldo, but he wasn't yet fat Ronaldo. No, he was still very much the dominant Ronaldo. He had that weird triangle thing yeah. going on, but he was still very much dominant. It was kind of like, it was almost a transition tournament too, where Ronaldo kind of handed over uh, the reins more or less to Ronaldinho. Yep. Uh, but also like the underrated part of that team is imagine having Roberto Carlos and Cafu on either flank. I mean, it's not a defensive-oriented team. It's very much just like, we're just going to overwhelm you offensively. Oh, I think for an entire thing, they had like two defenders and one center defensive midfielder. Yeah. There was nothing about that team, and they really utilized that kind of three at the back, which a lot of teams ran at the time uh, that mm-hmm. had the talent. Argentina kind of toyed with that for a bit. Um, and But I think Brazil nailed that just because no other team had the num the amount of talent up front to maintain the ball to score the goals they scored. I still, I still marvel at the Ronaldinho goal at the uh, versus England. Oh man! And I think I think me and you have discussed this multiple times. There's just like every commentator kind of just says like, I don't know. There's no way he meant to do that. Mm, he absolutely hundred percent meant to do that. Yeah, it's a mind bending. And and actually just, like, a bending free kick shot from, like, 45 yards. Just to be able to recognize that and see David Seaman off his line. Yeah. And I'd be like, there is, like, a six-inch window where oh you can yeah. score. And, like, a five-second window, too, because, like, by the time – because the keeper is probably up up from his line adjusting, adjusting the defense. Um, and then it was weird because back then – the three at the back was so dominant until we went right back to kind of the four at the back structure. Um, and weirdly enough, for the most part, I feel like England's tactics, like not England the team, but England the league, dictate what the world kind of plays, mm-hmm. at least positionally. Uh, but that was also like a weird thing for me because in 2002, 
we're still coming off the era of kind of the four four two and two strikers. We're still coming off the era of, you know, pairing two people up front. And then in that two thousand and two suddenly we're seeing we're seeing a shift. Yeah. Um and that was And part of that part of that was just that like there was so much offensive talent in in the European leagues that you just like and, and also that inter- conversely internationally that you just like you had to. Absolutely, and I, I just, but and I also think it was kind of that transition where uh, the striker wasn't just a striker. I think you saw that with Ronaldo, you saw that with Rivaldo, you saw that with Ronaldinho. Uh, you also saw that with France with Thierry Henry. Uh, your strikers were expected to play wider out, and they mm-hmm. were expected to sp- spread out. And I think that was very much indicative of losing that center forward because um, it was easier to deploy somebody like say Thierry Henry who could shift wide and free up the space for half your midfield than it was to try and find a way to shoehorn um, a, a Miroslav Klaus into your team. Yeah. Which, which, which I think was, it was an interesting shift for them. Uh, it, it is still interesting that we still kind of went back to the four four two after that for a while, but uh, we're back. There's three, three, three defender formations are all the rage now. I think a lot of this, I was reading, uh, the Ringer had a good piece on sort of the problems that have played Real Madrid this season. Um, and a lot of it is that teams have gone away from man marking and back to zonal marking in their defenses, which if you're Real Madrid and everyone's playing with man marking, like your man is better than their man. Like Cristiano Ronaldo is a better attacker than your defender is a defender. Whereas a zonal marking, it's harder to just draw people out of position. Um, so I think there's been a return to zonal marking uh, more broadly. I think I think I think you, I think you're kind of more correct in that um, as well in terms of uh, it kills teams like Real Madrid more who rely on players' individual talent, yeah. Uh, than teams like Barcelona who rely on finding the gaps wherever. Like they rely, they they don't care if it's man. To them, it's actually better if it's a zonal marking because if they can make your zone shift even an inch, it's space. Um, I mean, there has been Barcelona has sometimes struggled with zonal, like the two sort of all-time defensive performances against Barcelona teams, um, Inter and then that travesty in 2012 against Chelsea, um, were both aggressively zonal marking teams. And the problem was just that it became much harder to pull people out of position to open up that space. Um, so against like teams that are ready for you to lay siege, that's probably like harder for teams that, that are individually talented to break down. Um, and I mean, there's there's trade-offs to that as well. Part of like, I think a lot of we're we're seeing sort of paradoxically an era of like in many cases better team defense, but also like just not as many top level individual defenders. Yeah, I think I think a lot of defenders. I think it's also just the emphasis on defenders are growing up and being coached to be more like offensive-minded ball players uh, than they are. You know, like. I don't see a Carlos Puyo coming up in the ranks anytime soon. Yeah. Or uh, even go further, or like a Martin Keown who would probably kill you. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the emphasis for defenders is now is moving to other things, like the ability to play the ball, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's kind of been, I think, the problem for, like, you know, even though City wins, they often concede one or two because... They kind of they emphasize that as opposed to you know being solid defenders. Um, Liverpool kind of went for that. The problem is their defenders can neither defend nor uh, pass the ball. They're just they're just hapless. 
Um, and I mean that's that trickles down to the keepers too. I find because now now we want keepers who can play the ball. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's gonna be interesting to see. I don't know where I don't know where the game will go will go next. It's impossible to predict. I'm sure we have another tactical revolution forthcoming. Yeah. Uh, perhaps once Arsene Wenger is gone, <laughs> the new Arsenal manager may uh, may rethink his uh, tactical approach. Um, Indeed. Anyways, let's jump into the penalty shootout. Uh, I will let you go first. Oh, I had a really good question that's completely... Uh, oh, um, over-under um, of six and a half months uh, between the moment that all of the like final purchasing agreements for Newcastle go through and Benitez is fired. Uh, six and a half months over-under. Oh, man. Um... I really depends on how much money he asks for right off the bat. That that's true. Yeah, it will. It will. And I, I can also see Benitez resigning and being like, "You're not giving me enough transfer money." Yeah. Um. Well, I'm gonna go with that under. That was that was. I mean, that was when he quit Valencia in 2004. Was he like had a bunch of transfer targets and, uh, um. And the, the board just refused, and he, he very famously left. And when asked why he was left by local journalists, said, "I kept asking for Ferraris, and they kept getting me Hondas." I remember. I remember that. I also think with uh, with new management, there's always there's always this inherent way, like desire to make a mark on the club. Yep, to, right to build the team the way you want it, and yeah. not to. So they might they might look to the manager, and Benitez is a very very strong role manager. So they might look to somebody who's more, you know, conducive to the style that they see this team going. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many more goals will Basel give up to City? Um... That's a great sound. That's ship. a great sound for the podcast, by the way. Two more, I think. Uh, fantastic. Uh, what's going to be the result of Atletico Athletic this uh very, very, very boring one one. <laughs> Diego. There's gonna be a lot of defensive possession. Let me tell let me tell you that that much. Yeah. Um Oh man. Uh I mean screw it, I'm gonna ask it. Um uh, actually no, I'm gonna ask over under twelve joint goals, PSG Real both legs. Um, under. Mm. Right. I think it's gonna be. I actually think it's gonna be really nervy. I think both teams are gonna be really, really nervy. I really want one of those games to be like five four. <laughs> no, I think PSG are also mindful of not losing the plot like what happened last year. So I think that they're gonna stick to discipline. That's fair. I think, I think it's gonna be. I think I would even take an under on eight on uh, eight goals between the two legs. That is a bold prediction, good sir. I just think that both teams are so good that, like, I think that it's going to be relatively close. That's fair. I mean, that's a legitimate estimate. Um, sorry, I just got to look up. Um, 
are there any are there any giant slayings in the FA Cup this weekend? Giant slaying simply being that like a lower league team beats an upper league team. I mean, there's like 15 different possibilities. Um, and because just given everybody, I really want Chelsea to lose. I think it'd be hysterical if Chelsea lost. Like, I just really want Chelsea to lose. Uh, more than that, I want Rockdale to beat Tottenham. <laughs> um, I think Man United might lose to Huddersfield. Yeah. I feel like that might be it because I think I think once once the team starts reeling, like a team like Man United, and we've seen it with Mourinho multiple times, is he's slow on the uptake of taking responsibility for losses. Yeah. Um. So I think if he tries to put it on his team again, they he might lose the locker room. So. Um. Will Napoli surrender the first spot? in the table before their April 22nd matchup. Oh, that's a long time, man. Um, that's like two months of football. Um, uh, it's a very tough question because they're so close. They will surrender it, but gain it back. I think there will be a flip at some point, and then a second flip. Interesting. Well, I mean, they do have Roma. I think someone, someone's got to drop points, but I think they both will. And so I think ultimately the Napoli will still be in first, but there'll be some movement in that's, the That's the decider game. Interim. That's fair. Um, what do you think is the outcome of the first leg of Real PSG tomorrow? Um, where are we at the Bernabeu? Yep. I think Stadio Santiago Bernabeu. I think three two Real. Oh, so you think it's gonna be really high scoring? Yeah, I think it's three two Real. I think what's gonna happen is I think PSG is gonna score first. Yep. Possibly two on the break, like very early. And then three two is and two nil is the hardest lead in, in football to defend. Ab- absolutely, I think I think they're gonna come into this game ready to score. I think Neymar is gonna come into this game uh, with expectations. But I also think Real Madrid is an experienced enough side to turn it around. So, I think that's my prediction. Um, gun to your head, what's the order of the three through six EP, uh, Premier League uh, standings a month from now? A month from now? Let me just pull up the Premier League here. Premier League. Um... Three through six. Two through six. Oh, two through six. Uh, I think still, United. I think are still in second. Um, I think Chelsea slipped to fifth. Uh, and Arsenal stay in sixth. It hurts my feelings, but I see your reasoning. Um, I think Tottenham jump up to third, and Liverpool down fourth. I I actually agree with that. I think Tottenham might. I actually think Tottenham might end up second. Ooh, ooh, that's bold. I it 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 troubles me how much I like most of their players. It's a little bit like me with Golden State, where it's like I want to hate this team, but I can't. Like I like the way Harry Kane is able to score. I've always loved Erickson. Um, I've signed. I really, I really like Eric Dyer. He's probably I've, my favorite, favorite English player. I've signed uh, Aurier to numerous FIFA teams. 
Um, and I've been tr- wishing for Lloris to be on Arsenal for years. Um, and I hate myself for all of that. The things that I just said. Um, <laughs> That's you uh, last question. Um... I won't make you decide. Uh, oh no, I suppose that's not what we're to because like, I won't make you bet what the result of City Arsenal is. Three um, one City. Are there any surprises in Porto Liverpool? Or what? No, actually, no. What do you think Porto Liverpool is? Because I don't know what I don't know what I would consider surprising. Oh, I don't know. I think I think two one Porto. All right. I still think Liverpool wins the series, the matchup. Yeah, me too. I think, and I think they win it on away goals. Ooh. I think, I think that, I think that's where it comes into. Um, if, if Chelsea loses to Barcelona next Tuesday, how big does the loss have to be for Conte to not be the coach for the second leg of that? At least three goals. Okay. That's that's pretty much me. Um, all right. Well, I think that's that about wraps it up. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, God bless you for making it almost 50 minutes with us, or we're sorry, depending on which state of mind you are currently. Um, thank you very much. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and or review the podcast. It really helps us out in becoming the two white guys to corner soccer conversation on podcast. Um, and as we don't have any sponsors we're not going to plug anything we're just going to plug in Armchair Society sometimes Cam writes for them although that hasn't been the case for a while Uh, we've been busy people and Grandstand Central which is going to start doing soccer soon so stop by and come for a visit Um, as always Cam thanks for joining us thanks Serge